from Acts chapter 9. Tonight, I'll be reading from verses 1 through verse 19. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask in this moment, Lord, if you would do the thing that only you can do, and that is by the power of your spirit to shine light on these words in your word, to shine light on the words that I have prepared, Lord, and to use these words to great effect in our hearts and in our souls, Lord, to the end that it might stir up great hope in our Lord Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So I got this idea from one of my closest friends. And this idea is to read a story to you tonight 
as we begin. This is from a book called The Jesus Storybook Bible. There's a story called A New Way to See. And it's about a man named Saul. Of all the people who kept the rules, Saul was the best. I'm good at being good, he'd tell you. He was very proud and very good, but he wasn't very nice. See, Saul hated anyone who loved Jesus. He traveled around looking for them. He wanted to catch them and put them in prison. He wanted everyone to forget all about Jesus. He didn't believe Jesus was the rescuer. And he didn't believe Jesus was alive either. You see, Saul had never met Jesus. So one day, Jesus met Saul. There's two things tonight. Tonight's sermon is about two things. First of all, what happened to Saul? I mean, how does one go from this sort of administrator of a program of violence and murder against God's people to the Apostle Paul? And the answer to that question, what happened to Saul, is the same thing that happened to you. So tonight, number one, is an invitation to remember. Second thing tonight. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to wonder if you know what I mean. Second thing tonight. There comes a point when Jesus Christ comes for you. So I think tonight's an invitation to listen, to yield. So tonight, we're going to talk about Saul. We're going to talk about Jesus. But along the way, we're going to talk about you. See, because a story like this is not supposed to be a history lesson. Oh, it's really neat that God redeemed a man named Saul 2,000 years ago. Okay, great. But everything has been written for us in order that we might have hope. So it's a story about you and I. So let's take a look. Question, maybe number one. Who is this Saul character? Let's talk some about Saul. We'll also talk some about you. 
So Saul, when we meet him in the book of Acts in this scene, and we hear it in verses 1 and following, look with me again at verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. See, so far we've met Saul, and Saul is giving hearty approval to the stoning Stephen. Saul is carrying on a program of the idea is persecution, even eradication of the way of Jesus. In this case, Saul still breathing murderous threats. And the idea of it breathing out of him is the idea of like the, the violence and the disdain for Christ just is part of who he is. It's breathing out of him. He's got some kind of warrant to go to Damascus to round up more Christians for imprisonment. Through the rest of Paul's letters, he'll, he'll tell, by the way, Saul becomes Paul, I think I've said that, and tonight I'm going to say Saul and Paul interchangeably because I can't keep it straight in my head. To try to say Saul when I'm talking about one part of this and then Paul the others, I just can't do that. In other parts of Paul's letters, when he retells this story, he talks about his life before he meets Christ. He'll talk about it some in Acts chapter 26. He'll talk about it again as he kind of preaches in different places in the book of Acts. He'll talk about it in depth in many of his own letters he writes. And I'm going to give you a summary statement of what Saul was like before he met Jesus. He's successful. He's powerful. He's most likely somewhat wealthy and well-to-do but he, because he belongs to something of an elite group of people. He's highly educated, but he is hard-hearted. He is blind. He is deceived. He is violent. He is rotten on the insides. And the Bible teaches us when Saul's story, Paul's story is discussed. The Bible teaches us, Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul goes on to say, the reason that our Lord saved me is so that he could prove that he can redeem and rescue anyone. Because if he can redeem and rescue me, someone powerful and proud, who's rotten on the inside, who's wanting to murder and annihilate Jesus and his people, no one is too far gone. There is no pit so deep that God's grace and mercy is not deeper still. That's the lesson of Saul's conversion. You can read about this in 1 Timothy 1, 13. In 14, Paul says this. In other words, when the Lord Jesus came looking for Saul on that road, he did it with you in mind. Isn't that something? Let's talk about you for a second. There might be someone in this room tonight 
In fact, it's incredibly likely that there's someone in this room tonight who just thinks, Joel, you do not know what's on the inside, and, and I might not. You don't know the kind of secret shame. You don't know the sort of violence and rotten heart. You don't know the blindness. You don't know the stubbornness. You don't know the sin. And it's to that sentiment that this story says very plainly, even you, even you, maybe even especially you, especially you. Now let's talk about Christ and what Jesus says to Saul on this road. Look with me at verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. This is an example in the scriptures of what some would call a call story. There's lots of these throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible, we get call narratives. Think about when Abram was called. Think about when Moses was called. And this is the story of Saul or Paul being called. And I just think it's interesting what Jesus says to him. Verse 4, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I think it's powerful and so deeply hopeful that Jesus identifies with the pains of his people personally. His aches are theirs, or their aches are his. Their concerns, his concerns. His concerns are to be their concerns. The scriptures will teach us that our union with Jesus is our hope and salvation, the fact that we, our lives are hidden in his. To just talk about you for a quick moment tonight, he identifies personally. He identifies personally with you. Now let's see what else Jesus says. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting rise and enter the city and you'll be told what to do. When Paul will later tell this story in Acts chapter 26, Paul adds a line. He says that Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's very hard for you to kick against the goads. What does that mean? In the event that you don't use the word goad in your normal conversation, it's, a, it's kicking against the goads is kind of like a, like a saying from kind of the rural places around Palestine. It's like a country saying. 
You know how we'll say things like, um, don't cut our nose to spider face, phrases like that? It was one of those phrases, and it, it sort of means, um, so, so the goads were, it, the, the goads was an instrument that a, uh, like someone who, who raised cattle or oxen or sheep would use to kind of poke at a sheep to make it go along, or to poke at an oxen to make it go along. And the more that the animal resists that kicking and poking, the more painful it gets for them. So what Jesus is saying with, with tenderness is, you're resisting me. That's not going to go well for you. It won't work either. Because I am going to have you as my own. Would you yield, Saul? See, our Lord Jesus, and I wonder if you know this, if you found this to be true in your own life. Our Lord Jesus is so, so persuasive. And then maybe a third thought about Christ from this text. Again, verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. If we, try, if we go on down to verse 7. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground. Although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. The third thing about Christ from this story is sort of the, the power of Jesus, this bright light power of Jesus, glory of Jesus, powerful and glorious and beautiful enough to be dangerous, so much so that it strikes Saul blind. This bright light is a picture of the transforming power of of Jesus. See, it's, it's on purpose that, that Saul, go with me here, is going to have to learn a brand new way of seeing. From this moment on, nothing about Saul's life can ever be the same. He won't think the same thoughts anymore. I mean, he will, but those thoughts will have to be transformed and changed. He won't feel the same feelings anymore, the murderous threats. I mean, he might. <laughs> But they'll be transformed. Everything about Saul's life must now be different because of the transforming power of Jesus. The way I like to think of it is like this. It's Jesus saying, Saul, brace yourself because you're not avoiding being transformed. You're going to have to be transformed. See, I think this is just kind of opposite of how we think it goes. See, I think we have a tendency to think that we convert to Christianity, and then we're now in control of to what degree Jesus gets to be Lord of our life. This passage would give us a big no to that. 
The same grace that wins us will be the same grace that transforms us. But we're going to have to be transformed. Paul will later say in 1 Corinthians, from one degree of glory to another will be our story. We're going to see next week that that involves a lot of pain for Paul. but he's going to have to be transformed. To just maybe talk about you for a minute, there is no scenario in which you don't get transformed. It's hard to know what to do with this story, isn't it? I want to try to aim it at your heart a little deeper and a little further in at least three ways. Next week, we'll pick up what exactly happens with Ananias, Saul's call, and what happens after that, the danger that begins to come into his life because of this moment. We'll talk about much more in part two next week. But I want to aim this at your heart in at least three ways. Here's the first thing. I want to invite you to take a couple of moments now for the rest of this service of worship and just simply celebrate. Remember and celebrate. Aren't you glad that Jesus came for you? Because I'm the pastor of Grace Fellowship, I can look around this room. I get to read the stories. I get to hear about it. We're not what we once were. We've been redeemed. We've been changed. And we're not what we're going to be. But aren't you glad that Jesus came for you? you celebrate? Remember and celebrate his grace and mercy. We'll sing of it in just a few moments. Here's the second thing I want to say to aim this at your heart a little deeper. You see, we can sit in worship services and we can hear the truth of the gospel in a kind of little H here. But there does come a point, and this moment was for Saul on this road to Damascus, but there does come a point when we almost capital H hear it. And I want to just say it really plainly. This Jesus who meets Saul is the Lord of all. And the Lord of this universe took on human flesh. He lived a life of perfect obedience. He marches his way to a cross to give himself for you. You. He was raised, the Bible says, defeating death and darkness. 
launching forth a new creation in this world. He is returning one day to make all things new and right. And in the in-between, he upholds the universe at this very moment, the book of Hebrews teaches us, by the word of his power. And the hope of the gospel is that everything that he is and everything that he has can be yours. It can be yours tonight. I want to encourage you to hear. Listen. Because he still comes to people and whispers their name. He comes to people and he shouts their name. He still seeks and saves. Here's a third way I'd like to aim it at your heart just a bit deeper. You see... Everything we're reading in the book of Acts, this is really, really important to understand the rationale of how we're preaching through Acts. These stories are not just things that our Lord did, but they are things that our Lord does. He continues to break into our life and situation in order that he might arrest our attention and call our name. This is his modus operandi. That's a Latin phrase for mode of operation. It's how he works. I'm going to belabor this point on purpose, okay? You might be like, we get the point. Go with me. This is not just something that happened to Saul. This is something that happened to me and happens to me and will continue to happen to me. This is not just something that happens to Saul. This is something that happens to you. This is what our Lord does. He breaks in into our situation and he gets our attention. And I just wonder if you might be doing that with you somehow. Now, it is unlikely, it is unlikely that when you're riding on the road, Paul's on the road to Damascus, when you're riding on the road to Bluff Park, Homewood, wherever you're going, it is unlikely as you drive your car that you'll be stopped and a bright light will strike you blind. But it is very, very, very likely that our Lord Jesus will in other ways stop you and tell you it's time to start seeing everything different. It is very likely that he would do that. It helps make your circumstances become more clear. I mean, if the Lord wanted to get your attention, and even break you from your pride, how would he do it? And what I've learned in years of pastoral ministry and following Jesus, normally it's the exact circumstances you're experiencing right now. So those are three options. And you might be here and you might be thinking, is there a fourth option? And you might be thinking, and if you are, I really understand. 
you might be thinking, okay, great. But, but is there a fourth option? Like, could he just leave me alone? Could he just leave me alone? We'll talk about this at length next week. Could he just leave me alone? And the answer is no. The one who went to the cross for you is too kind to just leave you be. 